Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our great rock and redeemer. Amen. Rose um, has two children and she's pregnant with her third. Um, she tells a story. Her husband, Matthew, pastor of a church in Nigeria, um, was walking with another church member around the perimeter of the church um, because they'd had some issues with Fulani militants, um, Islamic militants. And she records this. After the patrol, uh, my husband was on his way back home to see the children when he was shot dead. I came back to find the grave already dug uh, and my husband's body was lying next to it. I hugged him and said a prayer. This account, not only in Nigeria, but uh, across the world, is not uncommon. Um, according to the International Society for Human Rights, uh, one survey done said that 80% of all persecution, uh, religious persecution, is happening against Christians. Another uh, survey took a, a four-year snapshot uh, and it saw uh, that religious persecution of some kind is happening, uh, happened across 139 nations, which is uh, the best part of three quarters uh, of the world. Uh, and the last one, um, a study with, for the Centre of uh, Global Christianity, uh, saw that 100,000 Christians per year um, are martyred for something which they describe as a, a situation of witness, so somebody bearing witness for their faith. That's every year. That works out on average 11 Christians per hour, seven days a week, 365 days a year, martyred for their faith. And though not as extreme in our own country, we feel the increasing hostility to the Christian worldview, particularly in areas of sexuality and family and marriage and authority. And it's caused many people to either leave the faith to walk away from Christianity or just to dismiss it altogether. And so it's so a question, are there any words of encouragement, any words of strength? What does the Bible have to say about this? Well, that's what our passage deals with today. And we're going to look at under two headings. Uh, so firstly, the reality of persecution. Uh, a friend of Jesus is an enemy of the world. Um, if you were with us last week, we, fent, uh, we spent uh, time in the first portion of John 15 um, looking at the, the absolute necessity of, of um, men and women that want to live a life pleasing to God, uh, the need to be grafted to, uh, to be spiritually connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. So remaining in Jesus or abiding in him as the true vine is the great imperative of the Christian life. And it's essential, it's absolutely essential for fruitful living towards God. In fact, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And we looked at the mark of a believer being one of obedient joy and sacrificial love. And so who on earth would hate such a people as this? And why? Why would they hate such a people as this? A people that live lives of obedient joy and sacrificial love. Well, look with me at verses 18 and 19. And we'll look at Jesus' words. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. 
If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Imagine hearing that you've, you've just been uh, with your master uh, and he's been talking to you about the great reality of being in, in, in a deep and intimate relationship with him that he and his father will bear lasting fruit in your lives. And then he goes on to say um, this, that the world will hate you. So it's quite a, quite a stark contrast, uh, but it's not the first time Jesus has mentioned this um, to the disciples. Um, the, the term world here, it doesn't just mean planet Earth. It doesn't mean uh, all every single human being on this spherical rock. Um, it's more specific. It's more theological. It's um, In John's gospel, it could be summarized, the world could equate to sinful humanity or, or humanity in active rebellion against the authority of God. Um, when we think of the world as Christians, let's not be sentimental about it. Um, you know that, that picture of the, the globe with all the children holding hands around a, a, a symbol of the brotherhood of humanity and, and unity and peace. Um, uh, that's sentimental, it's not biblical, and it's not the view of the world as we know it. Actually, a biblical view of the world is one that is in opposition, direct opposition to God, to the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and to his authority. Um, earlier on in John, Jesus is speaking to the Jews, the Jews that would later on call for his crucifixion and death. Uh, and he says to them, uh, you are of this world. He's not specifically talking about a, a physical reality, as it were, more of a category of people. You are part of this rebellion. And so it's this world that John is recording and Jesus is talking about that hates Jesus. And the, and the verb there, that hate verb, um, is in the perfect tense, which basically means it's an action that's happened in the past and has effects into the future. So it could be translated, um, the world hated him, it, it, it now hates him, and it will continue to hate him. And then by extension, this, this world, this world that hates Jesus, also hates his disciples. Jesus said, if you belong to the world, if you, were, if you were like it, if you enjoyed its pleasures, if you subscribed to its philosophies, to its aspirations, then it would love you. You would belong to it. But actually, I've chosen you out of the world, Jesus says. You're to be different. You're to be set apart. And therefore, the world will hate them too. There's no, no middle ground, according to Jesus. There's no neutral zone. There's no Switzerland. There's no, um, you're kind of okay with Jesus. He's kind of okay with me, that can take him or leave him. There's none of that. You're either for him or against him. Why though? Why is it that the world hates Jesus so much? Why has the world got such a beef with the Son of God? Well, earlier in John's Gospel, he's recorded that for us. Jesus, in talking to his brothers, says, The world can't hate you, but it hates me. Why? John 7 Verse 7, for I testify that its works are evil. You see, the world cannot stand Jesus because he is light and in him is no darkness. He is pure. He is righteous. And in that, he exposes the deeds of the world. He exposes the world's lusts and lies and its desires and its morals and shows it for what it is. It's corrupt, evil. And the world hates it. 
individuals within the world hate it. They hate Jesus. They hate his followers because he and we testify that its works are evil. And okay, fair enough, you might be saying, but I know people, I've got friends and family, they're not, they're not antagonistic towards Christianity, they're quite, they're okay with it. And, you know, I feel like in a sense, I have friends like that too. However, I think once we start to do what Jesus did, once we start to testify that its works are evil, once we start to um, uh, uh, apply the word of God, into people's lives. It's then when people move from a kind of dismissive, kind of friendly neutrality to, to opposition. Uh, let me give you a, a case in point. I was I went for an interview at a, um, at a university for a biblical studies course, and it was going quite well until um, I mentioned that I was an evangelical Christian. And the response in the room, uh, the two professors before me, physically curled up. There was a visceral internal response that the woman couldn't even speak. Uh, and from that, uh, the the tone became accusatory, um, got very hot under the collar, um, and it was a, a very awkward situation. Why? Well, I, I think being theology professors, they understood the implication of the term evangelical. They knew that it meant someone who heralds and believes in the gospel, the gospel that says that humanity in and of themselves are are, are sinful, deserving of hell and, and punishment, and the only way that they can be rescued is through Jesus Christ alone. I think they understood that implication, and therefore uh, the response was as it was. And I think that was just a, like a snapshot. It was a microcosm uh, of, uh, of the world and its rebellion to God. Um, and it's not a surprise, it wasn't a surprise to me, and it, and it shouldn't be a surprise to Christians. Uh, and this response wouldn't have been a surprise to the disciples because Jesus had forewarned them. He says it in verse 20, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, then they will persecute you also. And so the disciples and, and future followers of Jesus, you and me, we can expect the same treatment as him persecution the following uh, the cost of following in the footsteps of Jesus is one of persecution uh, the disciples themselves they were beaten ostracized they were uh, maligned they were falsely accused and many of them martyred um, as well the first readers of the gospel of John likely either Jews or Jewish converts as they were wrestling with this with this letter that proclaimed how Jesus was uh, the great Messiah, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament types and patterns, they too would have to wrestle with the reality if they were to leave uh, the Jewish faith and convert to Christianity, that they too would face persecution. And 21st century Scotland, um, though it's a different context, the implications are the same. They've been the same throughout every age of the church. And so whether you're leaving um, the movement of the Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormonism, you can expect rejection and condemnation and persecution uh, from those within that movement and maybe even your own family. If you're from an Islamic heritage uh, and you're considering the claims of Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, then it's very likely that you'll expect rejection and persecution from your family. If you're from an atheist family who scoff and ridicule the idea of a resurrected Messiah, then you too will face opposition if you side with Jesus. One author said that real vital Christianity always, always brings with it a cross.
just as it was uh, in the beginning for God's people. Those um, uh, God's people have always been rejected, always been persecuted, uh, and many have ended up dying. And not necessarily because of anything in them or in us, uh, but because of the one to whom they represent, one the one to whom they submit to. Look at verses 21 to 23. Jesus said, They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. 20, verse 23, whoever hates me hates the Father as well. And in this context, the, the Jews here that Jesus is talking about specifically, they demonstrate their hate for, hatred for Jesus and they demonstrate their hatred for the Father um, by rejecting his words and rejecting his works. And that's why Jesus quotes Psalm 69 here, saying that they hated him without a cause. Jesus reflects on the psalmist's own experience of being hated without a cause, hated for his passion and his zeal for the house of God. Uh, And here too, Jesus is being hated for that very same reason. And the result for his disciples, well, it's the same. They too will be hated. At the end of his um, earthly ministry, Uh, The Apostle Paul uh, knew all too well this hatred and this rejection. He writes in the book of 2 Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And you know, I don't know your situation, but maybe that's you right now. Um, Maybe not to the same degree as as Rose, who we heard about earlier in our introduction. Maybe not to the same degree uh, as Christians um, in the continent of Africa or Asia. But actually, your persecution is no less real, no less painful. Maybe you feel a, a, a social ostracism or, or a, um, a coldness from work colleagues or a family rejection. that It's not even specific, but you certainly feel it. Um, since professing Jesus Christ, you have felt um, family, friends, work colleagues become more and more antagonistic towards you. And so there's encouragement, brother and sister, if you're facing that kind of persecution, whether it's slander or bullying or rejection, um, then note, firstly, this was the pattern. This was the, this was the way of the innocent son of God. This was the way of Jesus. Um, and so you are walking in his footsteps. You're sharing in his portion. Um, he has tasted this and he knows it all too well. And so firstly, we're, we're to not expect to be treated differently. Uh, but actually we can rest assured that when we cry out to him, when we call out to him experientially, he, he knows it, he's tasted it himself and therefore he can walk us through it. But secondly, if you are facing this kind of persecution, there's, a, there's an encouragement in a sense because it actually identify, identifies us um, as being one of Jesus's followers. It identifies us as being heirs of salvation. It's kind of like Persecution could be likened to the, the hallmark on a, on, a, on a pure piece of gold. It identifies that it's authentic. And so as we face persecution, uh, as we continue in him, continue to profess his name, then we can be sure that we too are authentic. And, and the cost far, far uh, uh, is, is under the, the, the reward. Sorry, the rewards far outweigh the cost. Jesus tells us, blessed are you when people insult you or persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Matthew chapter 5 verses 11. 
And so our reward is great. It proves our authenticity. So we're to expect persecution. But let's just let's lean into this just a little bit more. Um, what if we're not experiencing persecution for Jesus? Well, firstly, we don't go looking for it. We don't just be obnoxious and then bemoan that we're being persecuted because we've spoken foolishly, as I have done, sadly, many times. Um, no, no. Um, but actually, Jesus does seem to be saying that identifying with him, following him, will result in hatred and will result in persecution. And so the question, the question presses upon us, are you or have you faced opposition for siding with Jesus Christ, whether that's in money, whether it's in relation to family or authority or sexuality or his view on any number of things, the sanctity of life? Because these are the areas, as well as many more, that siding with Jesus will bring us into sharp contrast to the world, to the culture that we live in. It's the association with Jesus that brings hatred and condemnation. It's, it's his name. You know, we can profess belief in, in a God of some kind, but actually it's association with Jesus that brings the sharp contrast. And so it's a challenge. Do people even know that we're Christians? Or could it be that we've feared to side with him because of the cost? Brothers and sisters, let's repent of that. Let's not be ashamed of the gospel and let's trust him to keep us as we speak out for him. We need help. We're all weak. We're all tempted to flee. And that's why the next part of our passage is so vital. And this is our second point. It's the reassurance of perseverance. It's the reassurance of perseverance. Let's read from verse 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So uh, next week, the, the final one of this series, um, we get to spend a, a, a large amount of time in the ministry and the work and the person of the third person of the triune God, the Holy, um, the, the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I, I'm really excited to, to meditate on that and, and to get to uh, proclaim that truth. And so we're going to spend less time uh, on that here. So I'll just say simply here that Jesus sends his spirit to bear witness. Bearing witness is a, it's a huge theme in John's gospel. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's lawyer language. He's a testifier. And so the spirit is to come in order that he might bear witness to Jesus Christ, bear witness to his lordship, bear witness to his works. And, and it's a situationally specific witnessing as well. Look at verse 27. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. It's the ones that have been with Jesus from the beginning, the apostles, that will bear witness in light of the Spirit's coming. So the, the two are connected. Without the Spirit of truth, so the apostles who have been with Jesus from the beginning, they would not be able to bear witness. He is the one who will give them power, and he's the one who will bring to mind all that Jesus has taught them. He says that in John 14. And all that Jesus has taught them includes these next few words, and I think this is the big thrust of this next section. Look with me at verse uh, chapter 16, verses 1 to 4. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, 
the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. What is, what's Jesus' biggest concern here for the disciples? You might think it's, the, it's their, their lives, the, the safety of their, their livelihood. Um, you know, Jesus knew full well what was about to happen. And so you might well think that he would be giving advice on how they might preserve their own lives. Over the past few months, we've been absolutely obsessed with preserving our own lives. Um, I can't even remember the, 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 the three, st- three stage saying now, stay at home, protect the NHS, save lives. Hand washing, um, sanitizer, face masks, social distancing, all of it is uh, in aid to preserve life, either our lives or the lives of other people. And so we'd be forgiven for thinking that that's maybe would be one of Jesus's concerns for his disciples, but it's not. In fact, he kind of assumes death. When people kill you, when they kill you, they'll do it, they'll think they're doing a service to God. So his assumption is, is that persecution will lead to death. And so what's, what is his big concern? It's this. All this I have told you, Jesus says, the reality of the hatred of the world, the persecution of those that hate God, rejection and possible death, all these things I have told you to keep you from falling away. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is more concerned with apostasy. He's more concerned with people, uh, particularly the disciples in this case, leaving him, falling away. Buckling under the pressure of persecution from the world and therefore leaving Jesus. His concern is like any good shepherd. He's the chief shepherd and his, and his desire is that he does not lose one of his sheep. The, the verb uh, fall away is actually where we get our English word scandalize. It can mean to, to stumble or to sin. Jesus doesn't want his disciples to be scandalized, to fall away because of the reaction to following Jesus, because of the reaction of the world. Jesus is emphatic, they will face excommunication in this context. They will be put out of the synagogue. This is the response. Um, This is the response of the world to Jesus's followers. Verse two, unlike uh, Martin Pecola, who Paul interviewed a few weeks ago, uh, most of us don't have a Jewish heritage and therefore uh, it's unlikely that we'll be thrown out of synagogues. This was specific to the disciples. It's those who will be thrown out of the synagogues. Do you remember in Acts when the apostles were beaten for, for proclaiming Jesus, for bearing witness to Jesus, for testifying about Jesus in the temple courts? Uh, and they were, they were beaten. And their response, what was their response? Well, it wasn't confusion or fear or anger, um, but actually it was rejoicing for they have been counted worthy to suffer for the name. And I wonder whether it was these words of Jesus uh, that were brought to mind at this time as they were experiencing rejection and persecution. You see, Jesus had told the disciples, um, he had warned them, he had forewarned them that this was what would happen. It was his pattern. It was, it's been the pattern of God's people historically, and it will be the pattern of all those that seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Um, the world 
will hate them because the world hates Jesus and the world has hated the Father. In telling his disciples and forewarning them, he's actually, um, it's a grace, it's a mercy, it's prepared them. Warnings are really, really helpful. Um, I'll say something like, Charlotte, don't touch that, it's hot. The warning therefore prepares her for heat. And the idea is that she then doesn't eat the food or sip the drink. Uh, in reality, that doesn't happen. You might say it's cold outside and so it prepares the individual to, to wrap up warm. Jesus gives them his words. He warns them about the response of the word, uh, the world so that when their hour comes, so that when the final test comes of persecution, where they're to stand for Jesus Christ, they'll remember and therefore they will stand. And I think it's one reason that we need to be, as Christians, when we're sharing our faith, we need to be very clear about the implications of following Jesus Christ. And so if you're considering becoming a Christian, um, then know that the promise isn't um, for um, a trouble-free life. Uh, but actually, as we've seen in this text here, actually, if we seek to follow Jesus and to testify to Jesus, to reveal that the, uh, the sin of the world um, and to point to the only salvation that comes in him, then we can expect opposition. Yes, there's deep and profound joy. Uh, there's the promise of the new life to come. But actually, following Jesus comes at a cost. And, and this passage here serves as, as a warning for us too who are walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not to be surprised when opposition comes. We're not to doubt when we face persecution. And I think that's something that we'll increasingly experience in this land, particularly if things keep heading in the direction that they're heading in. Jesus has warned us that the world will do all it can in opposition to God, for it hates Jesus and it hates the Father. And so, brother or sister, if you're feeling weak and if you're feeling uh, feeble and if you're so aware of your propensity to, 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 to back out of a conversation about Jesus Christ, to, 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 to fail to testify to him, then you're in good company because that's all of us. Without the work of the advocate, without the work of the Spirit of God, none of us would bear witness for Jesus. None of us would testify to him. Uh, and... Um, we would all fail to stand uh, under that pressure. But the reality is Jesus has given us both his words, he's warned us of, of uh, oncoming persecution, and he's given us his spirit so that we might do both, that we might stand and that we might bear witness. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That's the right context for a verse like this. All things, withstanding persecution, facing opposition, bearing witness when it's hard. Brother or sister, if you feel like you're buckling under the pressure at the moment of ostracism or social exclusion, family exclusion, and you're feeling it even more keenly because it's coming from work and you're unable to meet with brothers and sisters, unable to gather, and then uh, firstly, I want to say that we're praying for you. Secondly, um, why not take advantage of the restrictions that have been slightly lifted uh, and gather with a couple more in somebody's home on, on the Lord's Day and seek to watch this service together um, and pray and ask for strength. Pray together um, that you might um, seek the Lord. His word has told us that we uh, are to expect persecution and so then we'll not be surprised when it happens. 
we're not alone. He is ultimately aware of our struggles. He, of all people, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the one who suffered and tasted the worst of persecutions and death for his followers so that he might be like us in every way, yet without sin, and he might be a, a merciful and faithful high priest. Call out to him, cry out to him today if you are struggling. Let's remain in him, let's abide in his word uh, that we might be faithful witnesses for him, uh, that we might stand when opposition comes. Let's pray. Father, you know our weaknesses, you know our infirmities. Uh, we look to you and we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ warned his disciples and therefore has warned us about the opposition of the world and so we're not to be surprised. We know that the world hated Jesus because it hates you and therefore if we identify with you and with him the world will hate us too but we pray that you would give us strength Lord. Thank you for your spirit, the one who dwells within us, the one who testifies to your goodness, to the works of Jesus. Uh, we pray that we would remain faithful to him, even amidst the most fierce of persecutions. Uh, and Lord, that you would be pleased um, to call us good and faithful servants. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.